0: Today's reading is from the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
1: Thank you, Hugo. Good morning. I'm Sam, one of the team here. It's great to be with you or Great to see you here. We've all been there. Knocking on a locked door, helpless to let ourselves in. Relying on the one inside to hear our knock, to respond to our voice, and come and let us in. I wonder which episode comes to your mind, uh, whether you have a good story of being locked out and hopefully being let back in. I think of a time I arrived for dinner at the Hall of Christ Church, Oxford, which might be more familiar from uh, the Harry Potter films. Well, as is often the case, I was cutting it a bit fine. And to my surprise, I arrived probably bang on seven o'clock or whatever the sort of appointed time was to find these huge iron gates in, in the hall, in the building itself, closed and locked shut. I was locked out for dinner. Can you think of anything worse? I was entirely reliant at that point on my friend on the table in the distance to see me, to come over, and to open the door, the gate for me. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at a little verse in Revelation. Now, even the mention of that book, the final book in the Bible, might bring to mind colourful imagery, bizarre, enigmatic writings. And it certainly does have its more challenging sections. The title of the book, Revelation, comes from the Greek, Apocalypse, which means uncover, disclose, reveal. And the book as a whole lifts back the curtain, it reveals, discloses what's going on behind the scenes in the cosmic battle at the end of the age. It shows us Jesus' victory and the new creation. And near the start of the book, in chapters 2 and 3, we have seven little letters, each to one of the seven angels of the seven churches. And our key verse this morning is found in the seventh and final letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for these letters to the churches and especially the invitation we're considering this morning. Please would you give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us. And would you strengthen us that we might overcome in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing our series that we've been in the last few weeks of Jesus' invitations. And this week we're going to look at his invitation in verse 20. Sandwiched between a rebuke and a reward. So those are the three parts of the sermon. Jesus' rebuke, Jesus' invitation and Jesus' reward. So the first part, looking at the first few verses... These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. So the first thing we see this morning is Jesus' rebuke. Jesus rebukes those he loves. Much like a close, caring, older sibling, Jesus disciplines those he loves. And that includes the church in Laodicea. Of the seven letters to these seven churches, this one is the only one not to receive any explicit affirmation. Instead, they're accused of being lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. And it's interesting, I think we tend to think that it's... Hot is good, cold is bad, lukewarm is sort of on its way to being hot. Um, But interestingly, in in these verses, both cold and hot are held out as good, equally valuable, um, much preferable alternatives to being that lukewarm state in the middle. The chastisement isn't of their spirituality or faith or their intellect. Jesus says, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. It's through our deeds that our faith, our love for Jesus, our devotion to him is expressed. And the Laodicean Church have been found wanting in this department. But there is love in Jesus' message. There is grace in his warning. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, he says. But graciously, here he is in this letter, giving them another chance, speaking the truth in love. He's about to spit them out, but he hasn't just yet. The thing is, they are rich in worldly terms. They have become impressively self-reliant. The story goes that there were two earthquakes that struck the city a number of years apart, the first in AD 20. The city was rebuilt with the financial help of the imperial government. However, after the second in 60 AD, that financial aid was turned down and the inhabitants rebuilt their city using their wealth alone. They were wealthy. The problem was that their self-sufficiency had crept from the physical into the spiritual. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Jesus takes their three major exports. The wealth, the gold of their banking on a major trade crossing route. Their um, black wool that their sheep produced and they sold. The eye salve um, that was well known from a, a nearby town he urges them to come to him to find what they really need, not just in the physical but spiritually, what they need from him. Laodicea had access to both hot and cold springs nearby, hot springs in Hierapolis and cold springs from Colise. but neither were on the doorstep, both useful in different ways, hot water for healing, for relaxing and therapy cold water for drinking refreshing revitalizing especially in the heat of summer the problem was by the time this water reached Laodicea, sea the cold had lost its edge of being cold and the hot water coming across in the aqueduct had cooled to just being tepid and still full of still full of minerals now most of us drink our water cold or cool some might sort of have a silver tea, skip the tea bag, and just have a hot water. But rarely, if ever, do we request a glass of lukewarm water. It might remind you of a time that you were somewhere where the taps didn't quite do the job. And the cold water never quite got cold enough to enjoy drinking. Or never got quite hot enough to be satisfying. Jesus' language is more forceful than our translation suggests. Literally, he's about to vomit this church out of his mouth. He rebukes those he loves. And we see that clearly in the example, the disciple, good old Peter, don't we? Peter, who loved Jesus dearly, followed him and jumped into every situation, every conversation, headlong. Jesus loved him dearly and rebuked him at times sternly along the way. And used him mightily in the building up of his church. It seems there's a notion today that Jesus doesn't rebuke or that his rebuke is contrary to the message of his love. Yet here it is, plain as day, he rebukes those he loves. So be earnest and repent. Repentance and faith are at the heart of the Christian message. All of us are called to repent. As we turn to and follow Christ. The thing is, Jesus is not naturally on the thrones in any of our lives. We put ourselves there. And it's a choice that we're called to make once and for all. To get off the throne and to put Jesus there where he belongs. A choice we make once and for all. Followed by a thousand daily decisions to stay off the throne and to keep Jesus there before we creep on and push him over to one side. Jesus' rebuke here is for our good, for our spiritual health and to save our relationship with him. Either ice cold or boiling hot are great in his eyes, both are valuable but the one thing we cannot be as a church is lukewarm. So it might be this morning that we need to repent of where our wealth, where our Financial security has crept over from the physical realm into the spiritual so that we've thrown Jesus back outside. Jesus rebukes those he loves. The second thing we see, looking at verse 20, is Jesus' invitation. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus' invitation. Jesus invites us to have him come into our lives to eat with us and us with him. More personally, Jesus' invitation is that I might let him into my life and enjoy his company. That you might let him into your life. And enjoy his company. It doesn't matter what culture you're from. What time period. The picture of eating together. Has always been one of acceptance. Of mutuality. Equality. Fellowship. The picture of Jesus standing and knocking. Is an astonishing one. One that you might be able to picture. If you've seen Holman Hunt's painting. Light of the world. Where inspired by this verse. He Try to create a picture of it. Jesus, the light of the world, holding his lamp, knocking at a door that's sort of overgrown with foliage that hasn't been opened for a while and is clearly lacking a handle on the outside representing this life um, of an individual uh, where only they, only the person inside, can open the door to Jesus as he knocks. I believe it's the third version of that painting that you can see at St. Paul's Cathedral if you fancy an outing. And I'd recommend it. It's a beautiful picture. Here he is, Jesus, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, standing, knocking, waiting. The previous letter begins, these are the words of him who is holy and true. Who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Yet here he is, for our sakes, condescending to the door of our lives. Knocking and waiting for us to open the door to him. That's the invitation. Open to every human being. To throw open the door and welcome in the Lord Jesus as our Lord, our Saviour, as our friend, our companion. And it's wonderful as a standalone verse, but how much more wonderful that this picture, this invitation, comes in the context of the rebuke to the Laodiceans, that even they being rebuked as they are for being lukewarm, yet they're not abandoned. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Zacchaeus is a wonderful example of a life transformed on the spot by such an encounter with jesus there he was a despised traitorous tax collector out of curiosity he climbs a tree as jesus is passing by just to catch a glimpse and jesus spots him calls him down and invites himself over to his house for lunch there and then zacchaeus promises to repay all those that he's extorted and to give half of his possessions to the poor That's how all transforming was the love expressed in that one simple desire of Jesus to come in and eat with him. What does it mean to do life with Jesus? For me it means having a friend, always, through the thick and the thin. A friend who loves us no matter what, who never abandons, never leaves, never betrays. A friend who knows us and accepts us as we are. And yet a friend who believes in us and has better things for us than staying as we are. Who do you do life with? Maybe a close friend or two. A family member. A spouse. At one time each of those people has stood at the door of our life and knocked in one way or another. And we've let them in. Much like Jesus, knocks and waits. Doing life together is what that picture of coming in to eat with us is all about. It's a picture of intimacy, a picture of trust. It's a picture of journeying together day by day. I love it when this verse comes up in the Alpha course. It's four weeks in. And for the first few weeks, if you've done Alpha, if you've been a guest there, you'll know that It's quite easy to consider the questions, to hear the talks, and to kind of keep it all a little bit at distance, a little bit abstract, to think of ourselves as objective as we hear about Jesus, who he is, why he died. But week four, how can I have faith? This verse comes up, and I love seeing when guests realize that all of a sudden it's become personal, that that invitation is extended to them, Jesus is knocking at the door of their lives. They're invited to respond. We'll come to communion in a moment. And in it, we have an opportunity to reaffirm quietly in our own hearts our desire to welcome Jesus in to our lives as we eat with him. But it may be that you want to open the door to Jesus for the first time today. Amazing. Praise God. You can do that with a quiet prayer, simply saying sorry to Jesus for keeping him outside and welcoming him in, him into your heart today. And if that's the case, I would love to hear so that we can celebrate with you and encourage you you encourage you in your first steps with Jesus. Jesus' invitation is laid out before each one of us today. And finally, Jesus' reward. Verse twenty one to the one who is victorious. I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus' reward. Jesus promises to share his throne with those who are victorious. We see it again and again in the Bible's message and Jesus' message that we're called to give up everything for Jesus. And yet the promise is if we do if we sacrifice everything he'll give us back everything and more it seems the offer here is that if we open our lives if we share our tables if we give jesus a chair then he responds by sharing his chair his throne with us in the future in the new creation And there's a lot of similarity between the two in sharing a throne sharing a meal there's obviously equality there's mutual respect there's fellowship but where all of us have tables and chairs only one has the throne over all creation and he Jesus holds out that invitation with the highest respect and honor for each one of us consider the British throne for a moment a bit of, bit of trivia in a second. We speak of sitting on the throne as a, a way of talking about the current monarch. They sit on the throne when they receive the crown. But day to day, probably spend little time, if any, I don't know, on, on the literal throne. They're out and about, going about their duties. We all know that King Charles sits on the throne and after him comes the Prince of Wales. Prince George of Wales, Princess Charlotte of Wales, Prince Prince Louis of Wales, the Duke of Sussex. They all sit on the throne alone. They're not allowed to just say to other members of their family, hey, come up here and see what the view's like with me, come and share my throne. But Jesus invites us to come up and share his privileges with him. I'd love to hear if there's another occasion, but I heard that there was at least one time when the throne was shared. When James II fled the country in 1688, Parliament held he had abdicated the government and the throne was vacant. The throne was then offered not to his young son, but to his daughter Mary and her husband, William of Orange, as joint rulers. But even then, the sharing was limited to just those two. Jesus' throne, the throne from which he rules the universe, that throne he has the power to share, and he chooses to share it with those who are victorious, with you and me. Let's run the race to the end, trusting the one who called is faithful. Let's live lives worthy of the calling we've received, rejoicing in the kindness and mercy of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's walk in his victory that we may share with all the saints, his eternal throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Spirit bringing your word to us this morning. As we hear your voice, may we be moved to let you into our lives as Lord, Savior, companion and friend. Give us, we pray, a delight in your company now and the strength to overcome. In Jesus' name, amen.